Are you struggling in your faith? Are you pretending you're happy but stuck in a spiritual rut? Are you tired of listening to famous pastors and preachers who make it sound so easy? Welcome to Broken Catholic, the number one Protestant and Catholic voice in America. I talk about the important things that nobody else is talking about, like how to align with God's plan for your life, because I believe this is where 90% of Christians get stuck. And I tackle the negative self-talk that we all secretly struggle with but won't admit. My guests are brave Protestants and Catholics who share their struggles, their fears, and their daily holy habits that help them win in their spiritual lives. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist and a spiritual coach to Christian business owners and CEOs who are married with children. This show was created for you, the broken Catholic, who's pushing to get your spouse, your kids, and yourself to heaven. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you're just one surrender prayer away. This show is sponsored by Kingdom Builders Live. I want to tell you about Tamara Lowe and Kingdom Builders Academy because I did something very unusual. I actually went to them and asked them to sponsor this podcast. The reason I did that is because of the amazing results that they've been getting for everyday Christians over the last five years, turning them into best-selling authors, high-ticket coaches, and successful public speakers. If you're looking to make your first 100K as a writer, speaker, coach, or online entrepreneur, I give my highest recommendation to Tamara Lowe and Kingdom Builders Academy. I personally gone through her training and I hired her to be my coach to help me get to the next level in my business. Now, Tamara Lowe is a New York Times bestselling author and has worked with world leaders like George Bush, Billy Graham, Colin Powell, Mother Teresa, Peyton Manning, and many more. She is recognized as the number one expert in teaching Christians how to increase their income, impact, and influence. Now, coming up very soon, Tamara is putting on a free three-day live online event called Kingdom Builders Live that will show you how to go from zero to six figures in as little as 12 weeks as an author, speaker, coach, or online entrepreneur. You can get all the details and register for free at www.kingdombuildersevent.com. And when you use that link to register for free, Tamara has even agreed to send you a free copy of her best-selling book, On Purpose, How to Find, Fund, and Fulfill Your God-Given Purpose. This is something she is doing exclusively for my listeners of this show. So register now for Kingdom Builders Live and get a free copy of Tamara Lowe's book at kingdombuildersevent.com. Listen, if you've ever wanted to write best-selling books, impact lives as a public speaker, launch your own coaching program, create online courses, or start an online business, then your next best step is to register for Kingdom Builders Live, a free three-day live online event. You could grab your free ticket now and get a free copy of Tamara's book at kingdombuildersevent.com. That's kingdombuildersevent.com. And now on to today's show. Today, my featured guest is Tim Wright. And Tim has been a serving as a Lutheran pastor in Phoenix, Arizona, USA for the last 36 years. For the last 15 years, he's partnered with Dr. Michael Gurian, New York Times bestselling author of The Wonder of Boys, The Wonder of Girls, Saving Our Sons, The Minds of Girls, in advocating for boys in the 21st century. Now, Tim has written a book on the topic called Searching for Tom Sawyer, How Parents and Congregations Can Stop the Exodus of Boys from the Church. Now, BC Nation, you know there's a problem here. When boys are not showing up to church, that is our future men that are not showing up for church. And if our future men who are going to become future dads and husbands are not showing up for church, what does our future actually look like? 
So that's what we're talking about today. Now, Tim and Michael speak at Helping Boys Thrive Summits, and together they do the weekly The Wonder of Parenting, a brain science approach to parenting. You can find him at wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com. Tim and his wife, Jan, have been married for 41 years. Go God. Uh, mm. They raised their two children and have five grandchildren. Tim Wright, welcome to Broken Catholic, number one podcast on iTunes for Protestants and Catholics. Go ahead, take 60 minutes, uh, 60 seconds, <laughs> uh, and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Joseph, for having me on. It's really good to be with you and, and with all of your listeners. Uh, just as a little bit more background, I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, lived there for the first 18 years of my life. And uh, my wife and I, who've been married for 41 years, as you mentioned, we met in high school. So we've known each other for about 46 years. And uh, then I received, I went to a seminary and received a call to pastor as the associate pastor at a church here in Phoenix, Community Church of Joy, which was a, uh, a large Lutheran congregation. It was doing very innovative ministry and mission. Uh, we were a seeker church, for those who might know that term, meaning we were trying to design a church for people who wouldn't normally go to a, a church, a traditional church. And then about 16, 17 years ago, that church sent me out to start a new congregation. Uh, and that's the church I'm at now, Community of Grace Lutheran Church. And that's in Peoria, Arizona. And it was really at the beginning of that transition from uh, Community Church of Joy to Community of Grace that I was introduced to the topic of boys and what's happening with our boys. And, uh, and I was able to hook up with people like David Murrow and Michael Gurian and really dig deep into a crisis that uh, is, is something we need to take seriously. And yet there are really practical things we can do to start addressing our boys and the challenges they face. So uh, that's kind of where I came from. And uh, I, was in, I, I will say one more thing. I was inspired by my grandfather. He was a Lutheran pastor. And uh, so he was sort of my, my guy when I was growing up. thought, I, I want to be like grandpa. Every boy needs his guy. Yep. Someone to model what it looks like to be a godly man in this world. And unfortunately, a lot of dads aren't doing that. And there's the problem, right? So we're going to get yeah. into this topic, uh, BC Nation, with Tim. Uh, we're going to get his three uh, practical steps that you can take uh, for the boys in your life that you love and care about um, to really help them grow in their spiritual journey uh, rather than run from it and run out to the world and all that the world has to offer, which I've been there. <laughs> mm, I, yeah. I, I, I got everything the world said would make me happy. And I wanted to take my own life because I was so miserable. Mm. So you don't want that for your boys. All right. So before we get into your story, Tim, take a minute, share something personal about you um, that very few people in your business life actually know. Wow, that's a really good question. That would be my congregation, what they, they don't know. Uh, I don't know that people know this uh, well, although I talk about it occasionally. My wife and I are huge fans of British detective stories. And so uh, when I go to bed at night, uh, I'll usually read a little something that's work-related, and then I'll let my mind zone on some sort of British mystery. And um, we, if, if there's a British mystery that's ever been made in TV in the last 40 years, my wife and I have seen it. And uh, we are so grateful for things like Acorn and BritBox and PBS. Uh, it feeds our need uh, to, to watch crime solved. So that's one of the things about me. Got it. All right. So BC Nation today, we're solving the crime of all our boys leaving the church in the millions. All right, Tim, let's get into your story. Um, so you're born and raised into a Lutheran home, um, yep. and then you become a pastor. You pursue it. You meet your childhood sweetheart. You marry her. You've been married for 41 years. Let's get right into it, though. You struggle, just like the rest of us, right? You're human. Sure. Like you, sure. If you pinch yourself, right? Same color blood on the inside. Um What's been the biggest struggle uh, in your faith walk, in your journey to date? Do you remember mm -hmm. that time and place and what happened? Could you tell us that quick story and then how God brought you through it? Yeah, well, I, um, uh, when I was in my uh, early 30s, uh, I was in California for uh, a training event, 
and I had a major panic attack, panic attack. And I uh, actually got up at two in the morning, got in my car and drove home uh, so that my friend who was a therapist could check me into a, a loony bin. And um, of course, once I got home, I was fine again. Uh, but it began uh, a decades long journey for me of uh, trying to learn how to cope with anxiety and panic issues. Uh, thankfully for me, they were never so de debilitating that I, I couldn't work. It happens for some people. Uh, it tends to happen to um, perfectionists, which I am. Uh, and uh, yeah, and, um, uh, and so, so over, and then as I did therapy and was looking back, I saw this was really a pattern in my whole life. And there were times uh, where uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't sense that God abandoned me. Uh, I knew in my head he hadn't. But there were times when I would be up at night by myself, just crying uh, in fear. And I had nothing to be afraid of. It's just the way the nature of anxiety and just pleading with God to take this away, make me normal. And uh, one of the things that I, I uh, heard from one of my therapists was that God isn't in the business of giving magic pills. Uh, God is in the business of being with us, walking with us through these things, and then uh, providing for us people, resources, so that we can begin that healing journey. And uh, sometimes, you know, miraculously it happens, you know, that we hear those stories of people who've got cancer, they got weeks to live, and God just touches them with the quote-unquote magic pill. But most of us, um, we, we live by the grace of uh, medical doctors and therapists and self-help people. Uh, who use their Christian faith to help us walk through the journey of life. So that's been one of my toughest challenges. And then to see that, uh, that sort of that family uh, thing of anxiety passed on to my, my kids and how they had to wrestle with it. Uh, that's been kind of heartbreaking for me. Yeah, I get that. Now, so many people, I mean, in the hundreds of thousands, you know, wrestle with that. I would say, yep. I suspect more uh, than that. Um, why do you think God allowed that in your life? Like you said, you had nothing to fear and all, all of a right. sudden you're overwhelmed by fear, all consuming yep. where it's changing your behavior. You're, mm -hmm. you're getting in cars in the middle of the night and driving home, fight or flight. Um, why did God yep. allow that in your life if you look back in retrospect? Yeah, I, I, I guess I would phrase it differently. I'm not sure that I would say God allowed that in my life. I think it's just one of those life things that in my life with my DNA and the way I think about life, um, it happened. What I would say is, how did God use that in my life? And that for me is a more comfortable way of asking the question. And I think what it did was it made me uh, far more aware of how I'm wired, who I am. Uh, it made me more aware of the things that I, I can do to myself to get me off track, uh, how important it is to stay connected to my faith uh, and um, uh, and, and to, at the same time, be attentive to the gifts and the, the resources that God has presented to me. And through that process, I met a lot of really great people. And in the process, I've been able from time to time to tell that story to my congregation and to offer hope to those who struggle with things like depression or anxiety or, you know, eating disorders, whatever it might be. And um, so I, I think that God uh, has a way, the Bible says in all things, God works for good. Uh, and uh, it doesn't say God sends all those things and works for good. It's just in those things, in life, Jesus meets us and brings grace and hope and encouragement. You mentioned uh, how you've shared that vulnerable uh, thing that you went through with your congregation. Mm -hmm. How has that helped you to better pastor them? Um, in their their struggles? Well, certainly it, it makes, uh, uh, from their perspective, it makes me far more relatable. Uh, here's a guy, uh, you know, he, he's studied this stuff. He's, he, if anyone's going to be a Christian, it's going to be the pastor, right? And yet even pastors have stuff. And they, uh, pastors go through anxiety. They go through depression. Uh, they lose their parents. They, uh, their kids struggle. And uh, so from their perspective, they're able to see, okay, so uh, this guy's got the same stuff I have. And yet this guy continues to believe that God is good, uh, that God can speak to us. Uh, so from their perspective, I think they can hear that. From my perspective, it makes me far more empathetic. Mm. Uh, you know, when people say, hey, my, my son 
uh, is so panicked he can't go to school. Uh, my wife is so depressed she can't get up off the couch. Uh, those things, uh, you know, and then, then I have the ability to speak into that and, uh, and say, well, here's been my experience and, and here's what I know to be true about Jesus for you in this moment. That's wonderful. I remember looking back, you know, I didn't have much compassion for people with addiction. Mm. Yeah. Um, I just saw it as weakness. And, um, until I believe God allowed it in my life, mm-hmm. um, so that, I could use it uh, to be more compassionate with my coaching clients and yeah. really understand that how that literally takes over um, their mental process, their psyche, everything. And uh, to really just uh, understand the powerlessness that they're experiencing. And it's just not a matter of will, like just will yourself out of it. Um, that's not the case at all when we're dealing with anxiety, depression, addiction, right. these types of things. So yeah, I definitely get where you're coming from. Let's shift our conversation. Let's speak about uh, boys and, mm-hmm. and the church. In your opinion, why are uh, so many young boys uh, not pursuing the faith that they're being raised in by good Christian parents? Why are they yeah. not continuing that uh, when they start their families and then teaching their families? Well, it's a, it's a really complex question, and there are a lot of answers to that. Um, so let me just speak in really broad strokes for a moment. Um, and I'm, I'm going to tie this in just to give a little background. I'm going to tie it into what's happened in the education movement. So in the 60s and um, 70s, uh, I was alive back then, um, there, were, uh, there was a lot of discussion about how girls were behind boys in our education system. And so there was a collective drive on behalf of the entire country to figure out how to get girls caught up. The federal government invested $100 million, which is a lot of money back then, into getting girls caught up. What people don't know is that in 1982, girls caught up. And then since 1982 on, they have flown past boys to where now boys have fallen behind girls in every single area of education, And not just a little bit, but significantly from preschool all the way through graduate school. Boys are behind. The federal government has invested a whopping zero dollars into that to get boys caught up and doesn't doesn't even seem to be on the radar. We still talk as if girls are behind and they haven't been for a decade or, or for generation. Now, part of what happened in the school system to get girls caught up and people didn't do this intentionally. It wasn't to to mess with boys. But they began to teach uh, curriculums that better suited the way that girls learn than the way that boys learn. Uh, Girls are much better at sitting and listening. Uh, They're better with language, especially in uh, elementary age. They can process emotions much more quickly. And so, uh, and this, this isn't meant to be a negative term. We, we feminized our education system, meaning it skewed to the way that girls learn. We started eliminating the ways that boys learn movement, uh, object lessons. We took out uh, things like uh, recess. Uh, we created zero, po- uh, zero tolerance policies uh, for schools that almost always punished boys. And so we, we began to create this education system that favored the way that girls learn. Part of what's happened in the Christian church is we have done the same thing. Mm. We have created churches that tend to favor the way that uh, women, girls learn. Um, so sermons, for example, um, which are verbal anyway, uh, if we're not careful and we don't paint word pictures and we don't tell stories, uh, it becomes very difficult for men to access uh, because we, we think visually first. Um, when you look at uh, some, of the mu- some of the music in some of our more contemporary churches, and my church uses contemporary music, uh, some of the language in those songs is not the kind of language that men would use. So when you sing a, song, a love song to Jesus, I, I call them the top 40 love songs to Jesus, um, where it's almost if you took Jesus out and put your boyfriend's name in, the song would still work. Those are songs that don't, that don't capture the imaginations of guys. Mm. So, you know, as guys, generally speaking, uh, you know, if, if you and I were really close friends, we're friends now, but if we're really close friends, 
I might say to you, you know, Joseph, I, I, I just think the world of you, I love you, man. But I would never say to you, Joseph, I'm in love with you. That's not the way that men talk to each other about love. So when we sing a song, Jesus, I'm so in love with you, guys have to do all kinds of mental gymnastics to figure out what that means. Now, guys who are raised in the church, not a problem. Guys who've left the church for a while or disconnected from the church coming back. Yeah, like you, yes. You, you, those songs, what are we talking about? There's, um, there's no sense of action. Uh, in the songs, uh, you know, and, and there, there are more songs coming out, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about this, but still, uh, the songs can tend to be difficult to sing. Um, and guys are not quite uh, as musically adept as women tend to be in, in congregational singing. Uh, and then when you look at our Sunday school classes, uh, it's a lot of sit and listen, uh, coloring pages, uh, or reading out loud. And girls will always excel uh, the majority of the time over boys. So if a boy who's not as good at reading out loud has to read a Bible verse with a bunch of these big names in it, um, he's going to feel like a failure in Sunday school. And, and I have a great example of this. this uh, we were doing it right and doing it wrong, in a sense. Uh, this, the church I grew up in for years was an evangelical free church. So we left the Lutheran church for a while, went to the evangelical free church. And they were wise enough to do boys' classes and girl classes mm. because girls are at a different level in the way they process faith than boys are at the same age. So I was in an all-boys class, and one of the guys in our class was reading from Genesis and uh, he was not a good reader out loud. He was, he was really bad. And of course, we were bugging him. And he came to the word when Adam and Eve were naked. And he said, Adam and Eve were knacked. And man, did we razz him. Now, it's one thing for guys to razz each other. We do that as an act of love. It's another thing for girls to be sitting in the room snickering at him and to feel devalued. And so often in our education and in our churches today, because we have focused on the way that girls learn to the detriment of boys, boys are feeling like losers. And uh, increasingly they'll keep their mouths shut or they just don't, they don't wanna hang around places where they feel like they're losing or where they're feeling like they're belittled or they're not good enough. And that's happening, I think, too often in our churches. Uh, that's kind of a big picture. I also think that there's a lack of good, strong, uh, male mentorship and leadership in our churches uh, for boys. And some of that is it becomes this vicious circle. Pastors look out on their congregation and most of the people there are women. So you got to keep the crowd. So you start, you start speaking only to women and they keep coming, but pretty soon you look up and where'd the men go and how in the world do you gain your momentum to get them back? So it sort of just becomes this, cycle. And, and in my denomination, um, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, where it's like 60, 70% of the pews are uh, filled by women in our churches. We may have more men in our pulpits than, the, than women, but we have more women in the pews. Yeah, I've seen very similar across denominations. I know mm -hmm. in the Catholic tradition, um, definitely uh, very similar. And the feminizing of the sermons, um, I, I definitely resonate with that. Uh, sometimes as a man in my own church, I wish my pastor would just say manly things yeah. and challenge the men that are showing up, um, how to be better dads. What can we do? Like tactically, practically, like mm -hmm. give me the thing, right? Yeah. That's men are actionable. Uh, we don't want to just go dwell upon it and, mm -hmm. and get in touch with our feelings. Like right, when you right. say something compelling that convicts my heart or convicts a man's heart, I'm ready to take an action. Yep. Now's the time to give me the action. Don't tell me to go now, go sit and think about it. And, <laughs> and then next week it's a different thing and you never give me the action. And I think this yep. is why men have tapped out spiritually. Yep. They don't know what to do. Um, when they know there is something to do. And I think yeah. many godly men know there's something to do in the church. They know it. They see the problem. They know there's something to do with raising their sons, but they're not being instructed well on what do I do? What actually right. works? And as men, we don't like to make mistakes. So we want like, give me the, 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 what actually, give me the, the, um, 
best practices. Yeah. What are the yeah. best practices for raising my kids? What are the best practices from other men of being a good husband, etc.? So thank you for presenting the point that and the problem the way you did. I don't think I've heard anyone present it that case the way you did. And it sounds like the education uh, system meant well, government yes. meant well, just like many yes. times, right? They may, they have good intention, but they swing from one extreme to the other extreme, and then they don't find the middle. Mm-hmm. And then we're stuck with another problem that, you know, we, we solve one problem and we cause another. Um, yep. And here we are where men are being ostracized. I think I'm going to title the show, Why Boys Feel Like Losers. Uh, in church, <laughs> yeah, in church, yeah, you know, yeah, um, because this is really, this is really what we're talking about. So, what do we do about it, right? Because mm-hmm. you got some guys listening right now, just like I presented. This is convicting them, and they're like, "Man, yeah, everything is like feminized out there." Not in a bad mm-hmm. way. I love women. I love you know yeah, my yeah. godly sisters. I love my daughters. But man, there's nothing really speaking to me. There's nothing speaking to my son. I only get to see him so much during the day. Then I have to go work and provide. What are those steps for dads? What are those steps for moms right now? And what are those steps for pastors as sure. well? Sure. Uh, well, I think uh, you know some things we just need reminding of. There are things that we know internally and intuitively that we should do, but we just need to be reminded of them. And uh, one is for, let's, let's start with dads. One is for dads, uh, especially in our world we live in. And now with COVID sort of coming, we're coming out of it. We're, we're going to get back into some of our bad, busy habits again. Um, this is a good time to create some good, busy habits. And one of those busy habits is to put it down in your calendar every week. I'm taking my son out once a week and we're just going to do something. Uh, we're going to uh, you know, what's my son's favorite thing to do. If he wants to go shoot baskets, we'll do that. If he wants to go bowling, wants to go fishing. If he just wants to go hang around the mall and walk around, great. We're going to do something. And, uh, I'm going to use that time to check in with my son and, and, you know, just ask some of those simple questions. Hey, what's, uh, what's your high from today? You know, what's, what's something really good? What are you thankful for? What, what are you struggling with at school? Um, what questions do you have for me uh, about, you know, me being your dad? Um, how, uh, how are you feeling about your walk with Jesus today? And, and is there something I can pray about with you and for you? Just the natural check-in questions. And, and boys always respond best, most boys. Let, let's just remember, we're talking generally here. There are, uh, Michael Green likes to say, if there are three and a half billion men in the world, then there are three and a half billion different ways of being a man. So, but there are some general things. And one of the things that for most boys work, if you want to get boys to talk, move them, let them move. And boys talk better when they're walking. They talk better when they're doing something, building something. And it's in the, the movement and the, the building of things that we have our best conversations with our boys. Um, so, so that's one thing that dads can do. I think also, um, if, if dads are feeling, uh, somewhat inadequate for the task of being a dad, because most dads in our churches are not trained to be dads, we're kind of left on our own. Um, and if we had a really good dad, we, we kind of have a place to go. If we didn't have such a great dad, we're on our own. Uh, I would say to, to dads who feel a little lost, uh, you might want to look for a couple guys in your church, uh, or you might look for somebody that you really respect and say, would you be willing to sit with me once a month for six months, an hour, I'll buy you coffee. And I just want to pick your brain about how to be a man who follows Jesus. I want to pick your brain about being a, a dad who really invests himself in his son and in his daughter and find a mentor, uh, someone who will, who will share life with you. Uh, and then, um, I, one of the things that uh, has been a great discovery for me has been this whole thing around rites of passage. And uh, a rite of passage is uh, really an ancient process that tribes used to train boys to be men. And they didn't need to do that with girls because girls reach an age where once a month they know they're becoming women. And biologically, things happen in them. 
That doesn't happen for us as guys. Our bodies may grow. We may grow muscles, facial hair. Our voices may lower. But biologically, we can still be boys in men's bodies unless we're trained to be men. And so what rites of passage do is they take boys through a process with good men uh, to just start teaching them how to be uh, good men, how to think like good men, how to act like good men. And it gives boys a process, a beginning and end. They're celebrated. And, um, and the best of rites of passage usually happens sometime around 12, 13 with a boy. And then dads follow up. I, I did a ceremony with my son when he became a father for the first time. And we got together with him and his grandpas or his, his uh, yeah, his grandpas. And we just talked for about an hour. These are some things that we believe as dads, and this is what we want you to know. And I wrote out a journal form of our life together. So there are ways that dads can, can intentionally pour themselves into their sons. Uh, moms, I think, want to be really supportive of dads and their boys and dads and their daughters. Um, and recognize that dads parent differently than moms do. And that's a good thing. Uh, dads have different values for parenting. Uh, they're going to use more roughhousing and play than they are going to use words. Um, they're not going to focus so much on self-esteem as on self-respect. So those kinds of, the, and boys and girls need both of those. Moms are great at words. They're great at empathy. Uh, dads see their sons fall down and their first instinct is not to run and see if they're okay. Their first instinct is to say, get back up again. Let's go. Unless their leg's broken. And even then we might say, well, suck it up. But, uh, but we're moms, you know, right away, they're going to run. And are you okay? And, and boys, girls need both. But as boys get older, they really need a man to pour masculine energy into them. And also boys need their moms. Uh, and they need to know that mom loves them, values them. They need to hear from dad all the time. I'm proud of you. They need to hear from mom all the time. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the man you're becoming. And so those are some things that uh, parents can do. And, and I'll pause there just to see if there's anything you want to tease out on that. So I really like what you gave there, the steps. Um, take your son out once per week, BC Nation. Um, step two, boys talk better when they're in movement, they're in motion, mm -hmm. they're doing something physical and activity. I think that's a key, uh, nugget there. And then age 12 to 13, the rite of passage. Uh, I didn't really fully get what that looks like. You said, I do a ceremony. Is it just a sit down talking thing? Or is it like your son has to go out yeah. and kill, kill a lion? Like, <laughs> well, what does it, depends it look on, like? Sure. It depends on your culture. So, um, Michael Gurry and I actually wrote a, a rite of passage program for Christian context. Now, Michael's Jewish, but we work really well together. And so he understands rites of passage because the Jewish boys and girls go through that process with a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. Mm. And so we created a, a process where dads in a church context take their boys through. It's like, it, depending on how you do it, it's about seven, eight weeks uh, and they have projects that they do. There are sessions that they do uh, that are high movement, uh, looking at values. We use the word heroic, and each week we tease out, you know, heroic is to be honorable and so on. And then we, we've created, as a follow-up to each session, questions for dads to ask their sons, to be in conversation with them, because most dads don't know what to ask. And one of the things that we've discovered over the years, I've, I've taught this now in our church for seven or eight years, is it becomes a rite of passage for these dads as well, because they never had one. Mm. And they never had a man take them through the process to really mm. challenge them to think through what kind of man do you want to be? That's really the question of a rite of passage. What kind of man do you want to be? We're going to show you. Um, and so really, it's about, it's about accomplishing tasks. Uh, it's about facing challenges. It's about facing your fears. Uh, and, uh, and then at the end, everybody comes together and they celebrate, uh, this boy's accomplishments through this thing. Um, in, in some settings, like, uh, I think in the Catholic church, this may be true in the Lutheran church, we have a thing called confirmation mm -hmm. and, uh, which is really more of a, a spiritual training where the question might be, what do you believe where a rite of passage? The question is what kind of man do you want to be? It's very, it's a different question. You look at the same materials. It's all yeah. about following Jesus, but the question's very different. 
and uh, and we created one for girls too because girls need them today now more than ever. But um, and then we we've created a, a few different ceremonies for uh, dads to take their sons through as they get older. You know, every time your son moves to a significant point, turning sixteen, and he he drives the car for the first time, create a ceremony and celebrate and talk about responsibility. When he graduates from high school, when he graduates from college, when he gets married, when he has his child, or even if he has a child and then gets married, it doesn't matter. You know, create these ceremonies uh, to honor and pour wisdom and insight into your son uh, for each stage of his life and keep the conversation going. And really, and I haven't gotten to this point yet, there's probably going to come a time where I need to pull my son and my grandsons aside and say, this is how you die. And this is the death process. So uh, that's not what I'm ready to think about yet and how to do that. But I, I don't, nobody's taught me how to die, right? We don't talk well about said. it. We just, we just let people die. But is there a way to die uh, heroically, so to speak, to use the language we're talking about? That's powerful. We're speaking with Tim Wright. You can find him at wonderofparenting.com. And Tim is speaking specifically about why boys feel like losers in church, why they feel like losers in school, um, the education system, but he's giving us uh, three or more practical uh, tools, steps that you can take uh, for your own son um, to really speak life into him, teach him how to be a man, how to choose what kind of man he wants to be. Now, Tim, I do have uh, you know some single moms yep. that listen to mm-hmm. my show. Uh, so everything you advised there was mostly you know guys speaking into their sons or dad speaking into their sons, um, what does a single mom do when the father is not present? Sure. And we, we get this question all the time. And one of the, the really unique things about single moms is they better than anyone else understands how important it is to have a male figure in the life of their boys. They, when they, that male figure is not there, they know it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, some of the, the real practical things, there, there are boys and girls clubs, there's big brother, Uh, If you've got a church home, uh, you may approach your pastor and say, I'm looking for a mentor for my son. Can you help me find someone? Uh, And it could very well be that the the boy himself has somebody that he looks up to, talks about all the time, might be a coach, might be a teacher, a pastor. And just for you and your son to approach that person and say, "Um, I'm looking for someone to help me become a man. Would you do that? Now, if I had a boy come up to me and say, would you help me become a man? I'm not going to say no. I'm going to say, sure, you bet. And I'm going to find a couple buddies and we'll do it together. And we'll, we'll give you a really well-rounded picture of what it means to be a guy. Cause I'm just one slice. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, the, the, the masculine world is so varied and so creative. Uh, we want to expose you to as much of it as possible so you can find your place in it. Powerful conversation today. Now, you mentioned uh, going back to the rite of passage. You said uh-huh. uh, you have a few ceremonies written out in a book or so. Where can um, where can BC Nation find or get access to that if they want to do this rite of passage with their, their son? Yeah, if they go to wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com, uh, and scroll down a bit, they'll find um, all the different resources there. Uh, and they'll also find uh, some links to uh, Michael's fantastic books. Uh, his book on saving our sons is must read. Uh, he, he writes from a brain science perspective. Uh, so it's not ideology. It's rooted in science. And, uh, you know, his, his belief is you start with nature. How are we wired? Uh, then you move to nurture. And then you move to culture. And uh, right now what we're doing is we start with culture. Mm-hmm. And if we ever get to nature... Uh, that's, then we get to nature and we say, well, that doesn't matter anymore, but biology matters. Testosterone matters. Uh, the way our brains process is different than that of a girl. And that matters in terms of how we relate to the world and the way we relate to faith, by the way. Yeah. Awesome advice uh, for you single moms out there who are, uh, just my heroes. Um, you know, I was raised by a single mom after, from eight years old Mm -hmm. on, 
Um, so I really get that. My dad was still present in my life, but it was visitation rights. And, you know, I watched my mom go out there and work two jobs and um, put herself through school as well. And just very heroic. Uh, so for all you single moms out there who are trying to raise godly sons, don't go it alone. Please ask for help. Um, right. You're not enough. You're not enough. God made it where your son needs a man, a godly man in his life to watch and to witness an authentic life um, that he's going to learn from. You cannot provide that for him as a woman. You just can't biologically. <laughs> it's not, it's right. nature. Um, like Tim said. So Tim, what else do you want to, uh, is there anything we didn't cover in this topic? Why do uh, boys feel like losers, uh, you yeah. know, in church and culture and in, in uh, you know, education, anything that any one point you want to just land here? Well, I, th I think just to um, take a couple seconds to, to some really important things that churches can do to do a better job of reaching our boys. Yes. Uh, and, and one is to uh, be aware of, of the use of language. Now, this is where it's really interesting. A woman's brain is much better wired to live in a man's world than a man's brain is to live in a woman's world. So a woman's brain, just because of the way it's connected, can take in information and emotion at the same time. Guys don't work that way. Uh, so my point is this. Pastors, if you gear your sermons more to the male brain, your women will be just fine. Women learn with object lessons. Women learn with movement. For guys, it's crucial. So if you gear your sermons a bit more toward men, you're not going to lose women. Now you are, if every week all you do is get up and talk about hunting moose and how that relates to following Jesus. Well, yeah, after a while, you're going to lose men too, by the way. Um, but we can be a bit more uh, skewed to male language and in terms of how men listen. Uh, to take words like love and move them out of emotion and feeling and use them the way that Jesus did as sacrifice and um, caring and serving our neighbor to take a word like grace that's the name of our church community of grace i don't know many boys by the name grace a lot of girls so it's got a feminine connotation to it so to talk about grace as being reckless uh as being dynamic and scandalous because god shares it with anyone and everyone there are ways that we can take this good christian language and put action to it that will make it more relatable to guys and women will get it as well. And that's really how the Bible uses that language anyway. Uh, the Bible, you know, Jesus never said, I want a personal relationship with you. Jesus said, follow me. That's really good language. That's male language. Yeah, I can do that. We follow coaches. We follow teachers. We follow men. We follow women. I can follow Jesus. To have a personal relationship, not quite sure what that means. Um, uh, but I do know what following looks like. So, and even women get that. Right, Jesus had a lot of women followers. So I think just to find ways in the same in Sunday school, find ways to make it active, use object lessons, get the boys working on things and then tell stories, have them act out the stories, make it active and um, more competition. Don't be afraid of competition. Um, and uh, I think you'll find that boys will relate better. Now, what do you want to say to pastors that are concerned about toxic masculinity, the lie of it all, and mm -hmm. uh, they don't want to be canceled by their, right. you know, some of the, uh, you know, people within their own congregation that buys into that lie. Right. So um, masculinity is not toxic. Masculinity was created in us at the beginning of time, male and female. There are toxic men. I think every man in the world would agree with that. There are toxic men. Nobody wants to raise boys to be toxic men, especially men. So toxic masculinity is, uh, is an unfortunate term to describe some really bad behavior by some really, I'll say less than men, because men are not toxic. So I think all you, what you do is you, you just keep getting up and you inspire with a, a good vision of what men look like. Um, Good men are not men who dominate, dominate or domineer. Good men are men who serve their families. Good men follow the example of Jesus who laid aside his own rights and privileges uh, in order to enter into life with us on our level. That's what men do. And so to, to find ways to hold up both good, good men and good women, of course, but what are some examples of good men? 
and not perfect men, but good men. And, um, uh, you know, you may get some pushback from time to time and, and, but that's a great way to have a conversation, especially with some of these moms who they have sons who never in a million years would they think their sons are toxic, but they still buy into toxic masculinity. And it's just a great way to say, do you think it's good for your son to hear every day that men are toxic? What do you think he's going to grow up believing about men? What's he going to believe growing up about himself? That he is toxic by nature and cannot free himself. That's not what we want to teach our boys. We want to teach our boys they're created in the image of God for a noble purpose, to serve the world with their gifts and talents and make the world a better place. That's a noble purpose. I, I just can't help but think most people are going to buy into that. I agree with you. Well said. Okay, Tim, welcome to my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the confession round. I'm going to <laughs> ask right. I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. It's just for fun. Are you ready, sir? I'm, I think I'm ready. What's your favorite thing about God? Grace. What is your least favorite thing about God? Grace. <laughs> what are you most afraid of? Failure. I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life, which is part of the human condition. What are you currently struggling with right now, either professionally or personally? Uh, what the church is going to look like coming out of the pandemic. Yeah. What did you spend way too much time doing this past year? Watching British detective shows. <laughs> what secret fear do you have about people? Uh, they're going to figure me out. I <laughs> got it. What do you wish you had learned sooner about God? Grace. What is a new habit you want to create? Uh, to be a bit more in the moment. Got it. What's a bad habit you want to break? Not being in the moment. <laughs> Pick three words to describe who you are now. Um, boy, three words to describe who I am now. Um, uh, a, a learner, um, a uh, proclaimer of good news. Those aren't three words, but three phrases. Uh, and um, a loving husband. And pick three words to describe who you were before you experienced full surrender to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, can I tell you that's a hard one for me? Because I, I never Born knew a day race. when I didn't know Jesus. Okay. Before you fully surrendered your control yeah. to him. How about that? We all have control. Well, I, I yeah, I think for me, um, it was my issue with God and always is with God. I got to perform better so that God will like me more. That's been ah, my big issue. So yes. that's why grace keeps coming up, right? Because for a firstborn perfectionist, <laughs> grace doesn't come easy. And then when God gives it out to other people who don't deserve it, it just frustrates me. Because I've worked so dang hard for it. <laughs> Maybe that's the lesson. You don't have to work for it. That's right. <laughs> and last question, Tim, if you could come back to life after you died, look your family and friends in the eye and give them only one piece of advice about everything. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them? Live in the vast richness of God's love for you every day. Amen. Any final wisdom? What's the one thing you want my listener to know about having a relationship with God versus not? And uh, actually, let me shift that question. That's my standard question. What's the one thing you want my listener to know about really pouring in uh, to their sons and, mm -hmm. and investing in their sons and raising them to be godly men in this world? I'm 63 years old. I now have five grandkids. And you'll hear this from old people like me. The time window is short. And take advantage of every moment you have with your kids while they're young and pour yourself into them. Train up your child in the way they should go. And then trust that God's grace will lead them and guide them no matter where it takes them. And, and Joseph, you're a great example of that. God never abandoned you. Uh, he was just constantly pulling on your heart, wooing you, you know, whatever it might be. And uh, he never gave up on you. And, and for parents, God's never going to give up on your kids. Yeah. Prodigal son story. I gave up on yep. God, but he was waiting at the house. Like, <laughs> That's right. Waiting for me to return. 
All right, Tim Wright, uh, thank you for being, uh, where does, uh, where do uh, BC Nation go? Do you have any programs for them? Anything you really want to, maybe you haven't shared yet? Where do they go to, to yeah, find I, out I, more? Again, just go to wonderofparenting.com. Uh, they'll find a link to our podcast, which is the Wonder of Parenting uh, based on brain science research. And then all the, the rites of passage we've created, Michael's books, uh, my book on uh, written for, for uh, pastors and, and parents on how to keep kids in the church. Uh, all of that's there, wonderofparenting.com. Tim Wright, thank you for being on Broken Catholic. I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life, sir. Thank you, my friend. You too. Have you tried absolutely everything and nothing has worked? Have you tried therapy? Have you tried coaching? Have you tried counseling, Christian counseling? Nothing's worked for you, for your spouse. You just want better communication. When you wake up, do you feel like you want to crawl under a rock in the morning time? Is your brain so scattered and foggy at this point that you're not following through with things? You're not keeping your word in the matter. You're letting people down, maybe your own spouse or kids. Do you have way too much on your plate and you're getting more and more frustrated, which is turning into anger? Are you battling addictions right now? Are you an amped up or frantic person with a lot of anxiety and you're off and on of bipolar and depression medicines? If any of these you connect with, then what I do is specifically this. I do not do therapy. I do not do counseling. Those are for people that want to talk about their problems or learn different ways to cope and manage their problems. I don't do that. Reach out to me if you want to get rid of your problems permanently. Like be done with the addiction. Be done with the medications. Be done with the escaping your life because you just feel so powerless in it. If you want those results and you want peace, it's what we all want. We're all chasing it. We had it as kids. We lost it. Life beat the crap out of us. If you want peace, that's what I sell. It's God's peace. So you can find that at josephwarren.net. You can schedule a call with me, complimentary. I'll contribute 30 minutes of my time into your life. We'll get clear on what you actually want. Then we'll see if we're, we want to work together. And that's me interviewing you to see if you're ready. Are you ready to do what it takes? Some people try to come to me, but they're not ready to be coachable. They're not ready to get rid of the problems. Again, if you don't want to talk about your problems anymore and you've tried everything and nothing has worked and you want to permanently get rid of them, go to josephwarren.net and let's see if I'm your guy.